live from wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. Welcome back for another week here in the Hall of Bells. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the Bells, folks. Maybe by next season I'll get over it. But for now, I am deeply in love with those Bells. So uh, my name is Jamie Dew, and I am your host here in the SNL Hall of Fame. Before we go any further, I'll ask you all just a matter of etiquette if you could please wipe your feet before you enter the hall and its most hallowed grounds so there's that we are weeks away now from voting commencing for the first class of the snl hall of fame can you feel it this is a uh, pretty staggering when i dreamed this up i didn't think uh we would we would make it a season, and yet here we are, uh, growing more than ever. The the growth month over month has been absolutely, you know, just astounding. Uh, so keep telling your friends if you enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, well, then just button your lip. Just button it up. You know what I'm saying? We've got a fantastic episode for you today. We have uh, Dave Buckman. Uh, from the Cold Town Theater in Austin, Texas, joining us. Dave is a multi-hyphenate, uh, spent years with Second City, uh, doing sketch and improv, uh, now plies his trade by running the Cold Town Theater in Austin and uh, a festival as well. So you should definitely check that out. That's coldtowntheater.com and town is with an E. Dave uh, is bringing his massive brain into the hall to talk to me about Al Franken and Tom Davis. When these two gentlemen were hired, they took on one salary between them and uh, packed up their things from Minneapolis and flew as quickly as they could to New York City before such an offer was rescinded. Uh, they were making hay at that time as a as a duo, sort of neo-vaudeville, I suppose. You know, um, it was, uh, we'd call it alternative sketch comedy now for sure, but um, it, it, it was different. It was unique. It was uh, the voice of a generation, and Lauren saw that, and uh, as a result, you know, SNL became what it is but uh, i'm talking your ear off here let's get to dave bachman because that's who you tuned in for so this is uh franken and davis on the snl hall of fame podcast enjoy Give me a little bit of your, you know, SNL, more, more focused SNL bona fides. Um, bona fides. Uh, well, 
you know, I started watching regularly probably around 82, 83 when I was like 10 or 11 years old. My parents had a top loading VCR yeah. that, um, so they had taped after Saturday morning cartoons were over. I would literally watch v- VHSs of SCTV and the first seven years of Saturday Night Live. Uh, just, you know, there's, they had a lot of really good episodes that I would watch over and over again. Um, and then, um, probably I think Christmas 82, my mom showed me this Mary Gross out in the field piece where she interviews kids about Christmas. And there's a little, there's a young Seth Green. I think she, my grandmother knew Seth Green because she used to teach him in Philly when he was a kid in art. And she's like, Oh, you know this, we know this kid. He's on Saturday Night Live. And I saw that sketch and it blew my mind. And I think I've been watching ever since that week. Uh, wow. Missed an episode. Wow. That's and so, so oh, great all to have it so indelibly marked. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know it until I went back to Peacock and I went back and started watching from 80 on. Uh, uh, I'm still burning through the seasons. I'm in 87 right now trying to get to catch up to those Jan Hooks episodes. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I found the episode. Just like it hit me like, okay, I remember everything from here on out. From this sketch on, I remember everything. Uh, some sort of vague memory of each of these sketches as I'm watching them again. So it's been a very fascinating summer. Thanks to the pandemic, which I never would have time for, if uh, if there wasn't a reason to sit on my couch for two years. <laughs> yeah, this is this is absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. You know, uh, I mean, it's affording us these kind of neat opportunities Luxury. where we can, yeah. you know, make a connection I'd, over the internet. Or you I know. would be at meetings or teaching classes or going to shows every night, and would never have time to watch um, eight years of Saturday Night Live from the eighties. Which is all I ever want to do in my life is watch Saturday Night Live from the eighties and nineties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're getting into the good years too. Yeah. So when you watch those um, early years, obviously there is a writing duo that you are here to yes. discuss today and nominate to the uh, to the ballot of the SNL Hall of Fame. Um, Talk about these princes of comedy. That's right. And this is Franken and Davis. Yes. Al Franken and Tom Davis, international communist revolutionaries, Franken <laughs> and Davis. Uh, they were writers. They were head writers. They were featured performers. They were producers. They were the first comedy team to be hired as a whole, predating Lonely Island, Practical Theater Company. Good neighbor, please don't destroy Dratch and Faye. They were the first writers to move into the cast, reading Sudeikis and Tim Robinson and Michael Bryan and Tina Fey and Dismukes and Jost. Um, and they had their own ability. Lauren let them talk to the audience for two or three seasons, which he didn't let anybody else do except for Gilda occasionally and we can update. So they had their own segment where they get to produce their own sketch uh, and have a frame around it where they talk to the audience like they, I feel, I just rewatching them, it feels like they are, I'm going to declare them right here and now, the last vaudeville team. Oh, They wow. were the last vaudeville team. Those shows, you can just feel how much they were influenced by vaudeville and how much they wanted to subvert it. Um, so that's, I should have saved all that for the end of the episode, but that's, that's kind of my No, case. that's, 
No, let's dig into that a little bit more. I, um, I mean, all due respect to Conan and uh, O'Donohue and Smigel and all that, but yeah, we're nowhere without Franken and Davis's um, footprint on this show. Their footprint probably lasts is one of one of the largest in the from the writers. I I think so. Just by the era that they were there, right? They were both there for the first five, and then yeah, Tom shared Davis, I think, a writing credit. A writing yes. salary. They shared a yeah. 350 a week's writing salary. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was sort of the agreement. They they were the last hired and when they were when they were told that they could um come to New York or asked to come to New York, you know, that the that news was broken to them that they were sharing that uh yes. three hundred and fifty dollar salary. But not hey, only were they the last original hires, they were the last original writers to leave as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Jim Downey. Jim Downey, I think, left the same year as well. Um, but yeah, Jim Downey's not an original. That's right. He wasn't there till the second season. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. I, I really like that idea of. Have you read the Tom Davis book? No, I haven't. But I've been reading a lot about it. Um, Definitely some excerpts and whatnot. He's really just a good, personable writer. Yeah, it's very, it's a very easy read. It's it's one of those reads that just sounds like yeah, somebody is just just reading it to you. But he 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 definitely speaks of um, you know some of the sketches that he wrote specifically. So when when I think of the two of them, you know, I think you've got this this. Um, sort of absurd absurdist with with davis and then franken you know sort of formed a little bit more of the um the uh like the political ideology of the show yeah oh for sure they were i mean all due respect to nonahue you know their mark on the show lasted a lot longer in terms of what comedy is now you know they were uh, straight absurd. They found the game. They heightened the game. Uh, kind of what we know to be like the used to be style of comedy now, with a with a pit of the kind of the um, the zaniness. Uh, you know, the, the the inmates running the asylum energy that the original cast had. They were that. They were the young kids, kind of representing uh, you know the counterculture in the writer's room and they continue to have just such a long uh, shadow on the future of sketch comedy from uh, not only were they there for the first five, but they came back for another 10 each Yeah, uh, in yeah. the eighties and nineties. So, I mean, 15 years in that writer's room. They don't perfectly don't overlap either. Uh, Franken was there a, a little bit longer. So, you know, Bleeding into that, uh, Franken lasted one season longer than Davis at the end there. But then uh, Tina Fey brought Davis back for one season, uh, I think, uh, in twenty o two. So they each okay. had fifteen seasons between them. Yeah, yeah. Um, just their last one was separate. Um, and the things that they put up on the boards. I mean, you think about that original run. I do you get more iconic than julia child blender <laughs> french chef sketch or 
Little Chocolate Donuts. I mean, the two most iconic Belushi and Aykroyd solo sketches they're responsible for. Those two alone are just right off the bat. But then you do their separate kind of what else they contributed. You know, Al Franken had that whole limo for lame uh, speech about Fred right. Silverman, kind of burning NBC to the ground. Then they had um, Tom Davis writes Coneheads with Aykroyd. He writes Nick the Lounge Singer with Paul Schaefer and Bill Murray. He writes uh, Theodoric of York with Steve Martin. In the Middle Ages, medicine was still in its infancy. The art of healing was conducted not by physicians, but by barbers. The medieval barbers were the forerunners of today's men of medicine, and many of the techniques they developed are still practiced today. This is the story of one such barber. Hello, Theodoric of York. Uh, it's springtime, and I'm here for my annual haircut and bloodletting. Well, welcome, son of Miller, William. Well, it's time to see you now. Have a seat. Brungilda. You start on his hair, and I'll open up one of his veins. Yes, Theodoric. Well, how's that little baby I delivered last Christmas when your wife died? Ah, the little fellow is deformed. Oh, that's right. I remember now. This may hurt. And now it's time for another episode of Theodoric of York, Medieval Barber. There you go. Well, looks like I have another patient. I'll be back in a minute to see how you're doing. Right, thank you. Just a trim, Brungilda. <laughs> Hello, Theodoric Barber of York. Hello, Joan, wife of Simkin the Miller. Well, how's my little patient doing? Not so well, I fear. We followed all your instructions. I mixed powder of staghorn, gum of Arabic with boiled sheep's urine and applied it in a poultice to her face. And did you bury her up to her neck in the marsh and leave her overnight? Oh, yes. But she still feels as listless as ever, if not more. Well, let's give her another bloodletting. Oh, Brungilda. Yes, Leonard. Take two pints. <laughs> yes, Leonard. Will she be all right, Barbara? Well, I'll do everything humanly possible. But unfortunately, we barbers are not gods. You know, medicine is not an exact science, but we're learning all the time. Why, why just 50 years ago, we would have thought your daughter's illness was brought on by demonic possession or witchcraft. <laughs> but nowadays, we know that Isabel is suffering from an imbalance of bodily humors, perhaps caused by a toad or a small dwarf living in her stomach. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to see she's in such good hands. Well, thank you. Oh, oh, oh God. Theodoric, Barber of York. Say, don't I know you? Yeah, you worked on my back. Ah, <laughs> uh, what seems to be the matter with your friend here? I broke his legs. Hmm. I, I was at the Festival of the Vernal Equinox and, uh, I guess I had a little bit too much meat and I darted out in front of an ox cart. And it all happened so fast that poor little fellas couldn't stop in time. Well, <laughs> you'll feel a lot better after a good bleeding. But I'm bleeding already. <laughs> Say, who's the barber here? <laughs> okay, okay, just do something for my legs, could you please? Okay, well, look. No! Ah! We'll get him up on the gibbet over oh. here. Oh. Oh. This oh, might hurt a little bit, oh, naturally. Yes, I think it is. I think it's her 
hurting. Ow. A little pain never hurt anyone. Ow. Ow. Okay. Oh, he's come up there. Okay. What we're doing is separating the bones a little bit. And if you don't feel better tomorrow, we'll just cut them off here. I'm pretty sure I'll be feeling better tomorrow. Okay. This will teach you to go easy on the mead. Brunegilda put a few leeches on his forehead. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you, Brunegilda. You're so kind. How are we doing? Ah, I feel faint, but... Well, when was the last time you came in for a worming? I guess I'm due, but I don't have time today. Please, accept my payment. This fine fat goose. Oh, well, thank you. Brunegilda will give you your change. Thank you, Theodoric. Well, how's the little patient doing? She's worse. She's looking pale. Hmm. Well, if she's not responding to treatment, we'll have to run some more tests. Brunegilda, bring the Caladrius bird. Caladrius bird? Yes, the Caladrius bird is a test. Uh, we put it next to the patient, and if it looks at the patient's face, then she will die. If she looks at her feet, then the patient will live. So, a little test. Hey! <laughs> Can you interpret these signs? <laughs> seems, no. seems to be looking up and down there. Well, okay, just take off. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how to read that. Uh, just take two pints from her. Yes, Theodore. Take two pints from that bird, too. <laughs> She's dead. Dead! I can't believe my little girl is dead! Now, Mrs. Miller, you're you're distraught. You're tired. You're you may be suffering from nervous exhaustion. May, maybe we'll just take some of your blood too. We'll just. You charlatan! You killed my children just like you killed the rest of my family. Why don't you admit it? You don't know what you're doing. Wait a minute. <laughs> Perhaps she's right. Perhaps I've been wrong to blindly follow the medical traditions and superstitions of the past centuries. Maybe we barbers should test those assumptions analytically through experimentation and a scientific method. Perhaps this scientific method could be extended to other fields of learning. The natural sciences, art, architecture, navigation. Perhaps I could lead the way to a new age. An age of rebirth. A renaissance. Nah. <laughs> Tune in next week for another episode of Theodoric of York, the Evil Barber. And you hear Theodoric say, Well, I think a little more bloodletting and some boar's vomit, he'll be just fine. <laughs> Theodoric Barber of York, like, I mean, I would, I would do whatever it took to have my name attached to that. That's, that's fantastic. It's a, it's, it's a brilliant piece of writing. And it's, there's only two of them, which I was shocked about because I feel like I remember, <coughs> I remember five or six of them, but there's only two Theodoric of York sketches. Oh, yeah, I thought there was more yeah, too. I thought so too. And I guess and, it's just one of those ones that you just sort of you, you see the um, you know the little snippets on the anniversaries. Yeah. I like I haven't watched, I haven't rewatched the '70s in a while. It's the medical one and the lawyer one, but I, I thought there was so much more. But that's it, really, honestly. Um, but it's such a funny way of demonstrating what's wrong with society today and how we got there.
um, how we used to do things and how slow it is to change things. Um, and just completely barbaric at the same time. Um, I can't believe people lived like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's how you see these game of Thrones shows and people are like, well, I guess it's my time to die. And no one seems to be scared of dying back then. Um, <laughs> that's how just people dealt no. with each other. <laughs> And then you look at things like the Coneheads, like to come up with something like that and create a whole universe like the Coneheads or the whole universe of Nick the Lounge Singer. Um, yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I mean, totally. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder how many more people know Franken because of the route that he took. He was much more prominent in front of the camera uh, where Davis, you know, was a predominant writer, but Davis did appear on camera as well. Can you think of any other, uh, any other memorable Davis, um, moments? One of the best ones he does, uh, the Nixon Kissinger sketch where Nixon's, uh, talking to all the president paintings. He does, uh, ask president Carter and that's Tom Davis. Who's, um, needs, uh, to be talked down off some acid by Jimmy Carter on that phone oh. call. Uh, he does the last episode of that run is uh, one of my favorite sketches with Buck Henry is Lord and Lady Douchebag. He writes that one. And then later, 10 years later, uh, you know, uh, Tom Davis comes back and writes The Continental for Christopher Walken. Uh, Al Franken puts up Stuart Smalley, which he originally wrote for Mike Myers. Uh, and then he does 20 sketches of Stuart Smalley, a book and a movie and about a dozen catchphrases that people still say today. <laughs> uh, yeah what a, on top what of a that, track record what a track record between the two of them um some of those classic sketches there are recurring characters um on top of the 10 sketches they did as the franken and davis show which was their vaudeville show uh kind of open sketch for them. And those are some weird ones. Now, a lot of them are problematic and a lot of them um, are visual jokes. So a lot of them aren't going to work for this podcast. No. Because um, you need to see the visual or it's, uh, I don't know, uh, Tom Davis had a little bit of gay panic jokes, a lot of gay panic jokes. Uh, but that was, that was the style back then, unfortunately. Um, but uh, there's a couple that play out. Like uh, there's one, there's a great one where, um, they have uh, Gilda playing um, um, uh, Kennedy's wife, Jackie Kennedy. Okay. Uh, and uh, um, they're at a dinner party for some reason, and Tom Davis starts choking, and they all think he's playing charades, and he's trying to get them to understand that he's choking, and they're playing a game out of it, trying to guess what he's trying to tell them. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny. It, it, might, it might work. Uh uh, audibly, audibly, but um, it's very funny. Uh, if you're gonna pick any one of them, I'd, 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 I'd play that one. Um, but I mean, any of the ones I just mentioned, you know, Coneheads, Theodore oh, of York, Nick the Lounge It's just a a litany of like little chocolate donuts. They're all amazing. Um, if and in the fifth, the fiftieth anniversary, when they cut together an interlude, uh, of that era. Almost everything that you named will be, will yes. cease. Yes. I just went to go see Al Franken live, by the way. How uh, was last it? Last month. It was fantastic. 
It was fantastic. He just basically told stories about the Senate, um, does great impressions of Ted Cruz, does great impressions of Klobuchar, does great impressions of Chuck Grassley. And he's, you know, the stories are so funny. Um, and he relates it back to Science Live a bit. And he, you know, he takes questions from the audience. He's very, very charming. He still has the same pattern of delivery <laughs> that lets you completely understand what he's saying. <laughs> and lets you catch up to his fast-moving brain. <laughs> uh, I love Al Franken so much. Um, yeah, it's a great partnership, and kind of wish um, you knew them back then, because I bet they would have been fun to hang out with and write sketches with. Oh, boy. Just reading that Davis book, it's like... I don't know if Franken was as bad as Davis, but just an insatiable, insatiable thirst for for drugs. Like, yes, you know, every every other paragraph, it's like, you know, he's like, well, I popped two of these and three of these and smoked a joint and then did this. And then, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what broke them up, um, that Al, Al didn't like it anymore. And, you know, Tom ended up dying of um, neck and throat cancer, which is such a shame. It's got a have something to do with that amount of drugs that you're ingesting and putting on your esophagus and tongue. And now to talk uh, about the new Saturday Night Live uh, staff and, of course, himself is former Weekend Update correspondent, Mr. Al Franken. Thanks, Chevy. It's, it's nice to see someone else from the old show. You know... Most of you probably know me, Al Franken. <laughs> from the Al Franken Decade Reports I did last year, or from the Franken and Davis shows that my partner, Tom Davis, and I did over the five years of the original Saturday Night Live. <laughs> now, during the past six months, I have suffered countless instances of personal embarrassment from people coming up to me, Al Franken, and saying, hey, Al, Al Franken, are you still writing for the show? Or Al, Al Franken, how's the show going? Well, I'm here tonight to set the record straight. I am not involved in any way with the new Saturday Night Live. Now, there's been a lot of articles on how Saturday Night fell apart. Now, here's uh, one in this week's TV Guide. I see, and it's, uh, it's a pretty good one. It's okay, anyway. I don't know if you can see that, but the real story has never fully been told until tonight. And you can believe it because it's coming from me, Al Frank. <laughs> you see, Lorne Michaels, the producer of Saturday Night, decided after last season that it was time to go on to different things. Now, he figured the first season had been great. And then Chevy left, and the show course, got even better. <laughs> then, then after the fourth year, Danny and John left. Now them, them we missed. So after five golden years, <laughs> Lauren decided to leave. And so did those close to him, including me, Al Frank. <laughs> so NBC had to pick a new producer. Now most knowledgeable people, as you might imagine, hoped it would be me 
Al Franken. <laughs> but instead, without consulting the show's staff or cast, NBC picked Gene Domenian, an associate producer on the show. Now, I don't want to be cruel to Gene, because it might make you think less of me, Al Franken. <laughs> Anyway, it took NBC 12 shows to figure out their horrendous mistake, and a month ago, they fired Gene. Okay, now, who do they pick to rectify the original error? Someone who knows what he's doing? Someone like me? Al Franken? No, they pick Dick Ebersol. Now, I know Dick because he was a network executive in charge of late-night programming when Saturday night started, and as such, was the first person to steal credit for the success of Saturday Night. <laughs> credit which should rightfully go to Lorne Michaels and me, Al Franken. <laughs> now let me give you some background on Dick, Mr. Humor Ebersol. His credits include The Waverly Wonders, starring Joe Namath, Roller Girls, and a show called Joe and Valerie about a kid from Brooklyn who dances every night at a disco. Now, to this day, Dick claims that he never saw Saturday Night Fever and that it was all an amazing coincidence. Anyway, I know Dick, and I can tell you that he doesn't know Dick. Okay. Now, the show's going to be a little better. No English-speaking person could do a worse job than Gene. <laughs> but it's clearly time to yank this tired old format off the air. So if you're wondering what you can do for me, Al Franken, please write a card or letter to Put SNL to Sleep. 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York, 10020. Let's put this show out of its misery. You'll be doing a great favor for yourselves, and for me, Al Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Al. Al, you're actually going to be hosting the show next week, is that all right? Yeah, it'll be uh, uh, my partner, Tom Davis, and, uh, and me, Al Frank. We'll, uh, we'll be hosting, and our special guest will be the, the Grateful Dead. Well, thanks, Al. Yeah, so, so watch next week, but not after that. <laughs> Thank you, Al. But to do a Coneheads, like 11 Lounge Singer sketches. These were zeitgeist yes. uh, characters. These are ones that people still go... If Dan Aykroyd walked into a room wearing that Conehead, or <laughs> Bill Murray gets anywhere near a uh, Paul Schaefer on the piano, you, everybody's goose pimples Absolutely. are going to go crazy. Yeah, that's because of Tom Davis or anybody that ever says, you know, um, uh, uh, and that's okay. Yeah, or I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm doggone it. People like me. That I mean, I'm in a shame spiral. These are things that people still throwing around. Um. 30, 40 years later. Wow. Yeah, it has been 30, it has been 30 years since that Stuart Smalley run, hasn't it? Wow. Right. In terms of 
them getting to New York mm-hmm. and then really carving out, you know, what the show looks like throughout the seventies. What do you think about what they did when, when they had their, their second run? Is there, is there anything, hmm. well, I guess Stuart Smalley is, but, uh, does Davis does Davis leave as big a mark in the second run? Well, he uh I mean the Continental is a pretty uh iconic recurring character. Um I don't know what else he anything big that he did while he was there, but you know, he was there for ten years. Yeah. Uh, They're both there for about ten years uh in the eighties, helping, shaping, producing, um, guiding. Um <laughs> Sarah Silverman tells a story about uh, stabbing Al Franken with a pencil <laughs> at the writer's room. <laughs> In her, oh my god! Um, but I mean, to have original writers, those two and Jim Downey, in the room um, when Lauren comes back, and I'm sure that was as much for Lauren's comfort as anybody else's. Just to have people there sure. that know how the show is run, uh, know how to run the room, and how to get. It to air uh, was in, invaluable to him um, to come back and, and mount this thing again and to guide all those new writers, Smigel and Conan and Odenkirk, um, and be there for that whole process. Uh, and even, you know, doing some on air stuff. You know, they all, they both played, you know, presidential candidates during all those times and they'd pop up every once in a while. Uh, Al Franken more than Tom at that point, but, um, you know, just to have those kind of veterans lending writer's room and on air seniority, I'm sure it was absolutely invaluable. Just knowing like what I would want in that situation as a producer to have somebody that was there from the original crew is keeps us um, kind of focused on the same thing. So Lauren can work on the bigger things. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then that becomes the template for what the show, you know, how, how Lauren ended up running the show, like into the nineties, right? Like as executive producer, as he moved into, Mm -hmm. you know, that role more moving away from day to day stuff, he brought Higgins on board and, you know, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I was there for the Phil Hartman years, for the um, Mike Meyer years, for uh, the Chris Farley years. Um, they were there, still contributing, still guiding that new generation uh, of comedians that are now all elder statesmen themselves. <laughs> and uh, above all, he becomes a United States senator, and a really good one at that too, uh, which is, I mean... I I not, I couldn't vote for him, but I did send him money because I believe all comedians should they want to be in office should be. So I even <laughs> contributed to Gary Kroger ran for the Iowa Senate uh, race. I made a contribution to him too. So oh, that's any, really great. Any Senate Live alumni that want to run for office, I will donate to your campaign. Absolutely. You heard it here first. <laughs> we painted a good picture of why they deserve to be on the ballot, but. Why should they be in in the actual Hall of Fame? They 
have had more jobs at Saturday Night Live than anybody else. <laughs> they are original writers, and they were the last ones to leave the writer's room from the original crew. Um, yeah, they have a hand in several generations of casts, uh, writing for them and guiding them and leading them. And their satirical sensibility is the reason Saturday Night Live is considered a satirical touchstone for America. There wasn't that many other satirical artists in that original room. You had joke writers, you had shock writers, you had relationship writers. But Franklin and Davis were this satirical reflect society back and what's wrong with the society back at the audience. Um, and that's really, you could draw a straight line from them to Adam McKay to Tina to Seth. Well, I could just listen to you talk about Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I could do it all day. <laughs> for for a long time. Um, so we'll definitely have you back, uh, you know, for sure. Uh, if people want to find out more about the theater or uh, or about you on the interwebs, what uh, where do they look? You can follow me at Dave Buckman, B-U-C-K-M-A-N. You can um, follow my theater, Cold Town Theater, C-O-L-D-T-O-W-N-E, theater in Austin, Texas, at Cold Town Theater, um, or ATX Sketchfest. Dot com. We'll uh, be having an in-person sketch fest for the first time in two years uh, oh, later hallelujah. this year. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. Um, we're trying to move into a ven- bigger venue. So if you want to donate uh, to Cold Town's efforts to open a new venue in this pandemic, we sure would appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Dave Bachman was looking forward to coming to the SNL Hall of Fame to talk to me about Franken and Davis. How lucky am I? He was looking forward to it. This is so cool. Uh, if you are on the SNL Twitters, um, you, you've seen Dave, Dave Buckman around. Uh, if you've listened to any of the other podcasts out there, you've heard him. Uh, I feel very fortunate that we were able to get him for this one. This was a, a, a great episode. Franken and Davis, huh? You know, I don't know if they were on your on your list before, but they, they probably should be if you enjoyed the show. Because... You know, they were, you know, maybe they didn't get to, to, to be there for the unveiling of the architecture, but they wrote the goddamn blueprints, you know? So there's that to consider. And it's got to be something you consider when you cast one of your votes. This is also a two for one. I mean, hey, you, you pick uh, Lonely Island and uh, Frank and the Davis. You've cast two votes. You've got five fucking Hall of Famers. So, you know, consider that. So, again, I want to thank Dave Buckman for stopping by. I want to thank Franken and Davis for, you know, helping uh, 
invent the show. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, we're in the home stretch, folks. Talk to you then. But in the meantime, would you please turn out the lights? Because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next month in the hall. such.